0: Previously on Cry in the Moon's Light On the edge of the dark forest, a young carriage driver picks up a beautiful young woman outside an opulent mansion. Traveling at night, they make their way through this dangerous land. They are followed by a mysterious creature with blue eyes. When they stop for a break at a meadow, a wolf with blue eyes appears. The wolf has strange markings on its chest and legs that glow in the moon's light. Fearing the wolf, they get back into the carriage and race through the forest on their way to a secluded village. Welcome to A Cry in the Moon's Light. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Alan McGill. I'm the author who created this story. I'll also be your narrator. A Cry in the Moon's Light is an action-adventure drama told in 15 episodes, a limited-series podcast or audio story. It's the tale of a beautiful young woman who must travel across the country through a dark forest. Our setting is the late 1700s of Eastern Europe. It is a time of horse-driven carriages, muskets, castles, and when the moon is full, hideous creatures of the night. Short on time, the young lady must hurry through the wild country to be at the side of her dying grandmother. But a mysterious creature stalks her every move and a deadly wolf pack seems determined to kill her. Armed with only her wits and a brave young carriage driver to protect her. She faces the challenges of a long and perilous journey through a dark land. But when two gruesome murders occur in the small town of Marcel, she and her carriage driver make the fateful decision to flee to the safety of a nearby castle, a castle that holds its own secrets. And what happens along the way is the true beginning of our story solve the mystery of the wolf, learn the secret of silver, and discover a world of intrigue, adventure, horror, romance, and love. Join me as we unravel the mystery that is A Cry in the Moon's Light. In this chapter, we find our carriage driver and the lady still being followed by the blue-eyed wolf as they arrive in Marcel After checking in at the hotel, our carriage driver tucks the horses away for the night. Clouds cover the sky and an eerie howl fills the night air. Relaxing at the pub with a pint of ale and enjoying the music, the carriage driver encounters a strange man with brilliant blue eyes very similar to the wolf. We are also introduced to a new set of characters, known as the Hessians. Let's continue our story as we arrive in the town of Myrcelle. Welcome to Chapter 2, Meet Me at the Tavern in Myrcelle. As we hustled down the road through the darkness, I looked behind one last time at the fields. The carriage started to turn as the road bent to the south. The light coming through the trees at the road's end began to fade. When I could no longer see the opening through the trees, I saw them again. Behind us, against the darkness, two blue dots standing out. He had disappeared when I raised my musket, and now he was back. The wolf continued to follow. The horses had built up a good head of steam. They didn't show any signs of tiring. The pace was fast but steady, and both my boys had endless supplies of energy. The blue eyes weren't getting any bigger. If anything, they were falling back. As we got further ahead, they began to flicker out of view until I could no longer see them. There was no way he was going to catch a team led by Arca and Killian. It was unnerving that he was still with us, but that didn't matter now. We traveled a good while before I started to see a faint glow up ahead. This would be the town of Marcel. The glow wouldn't be noticeable except on the darkest of nights. The moon had been full all night, but the tree's cover seemed a lot thicker here barely any moonlight came through to help guide our way. The only light we really had were the lamps on the carriage. We finally reached the entrance to the small village of Marcel, and unlike most towns, most of the trees were not removed. All the buildings were cut right into the middle of the forest. The forest road ran through the center of town. This also served as the main street. Nobody really knows how this town was formed. Most believed it was because of the location. It is almost halfway through the forest. Someone cleared a few trees, made a small camp. A cabin gets built as shelter for a safe place to hold up for the night and get out of the elements. Once there was a cabin, somebody else thought, we need to store supplies here in case we come this way again. And that turns into selling supplies. Now. There's a general store. Before anyone knows it, someone else decides an inn is needed to accommodate more travelers. For a small fee, you get a warm room, fresh sheets, and a hot meal. And more important than that, it was a place to take a hot bath so you could wash the stink off. Some folks came to town on foot, but most travel by horse or wagon. Sometimes, if they have the money, a carriage. A carriage. And because of this, another somebody sees the need for a stable. Horses need rest, feed, and, of course, a farrier. The owners of the stable and the store need some place to stay. The inn is for travelers, which means they have to build homes for themselves. Now, there are permanent residents along with the travelers. All need a place to unwind, so naturally, a pub opens. Permanent residents a general store an inn with a pub and last but not least a livery with a farrier whether there is a formal declaration or not you have a small town Marcel wasn't recognized by the king there was no charter or anything like that it was more of a camp that became a village an open secret of trade and lawlessness and the people who occupied it liked it that way they handle all their problems without any outside interference. A midway point for people on a journey who decided to take a more direct route through the forest. Of course, with no lawmen here, was also a haven for road agents and highwaymen. But they had an unofficial code. They didn't bother the residents, and the residents didn't bother them. A certain amount of robbery and shenanigans was tolerated. Nothing was done in excess. Murderers were hunted down and hanged. Nobody wanted any unwanted attention in Marcel, otherwise, the king might step in. The town being built amongst the trees meant there were almost no breaks in the canopy. The few houses and buildings here were built in the middle of them. There was a slight clearing for Main Street that allowed a small area to be lit up by the moon, otherwise, it was dark. We barely slowed down as we entered the village. The team rolled right up to the inn with dirt and dust flying in the air. Once we were stopped, I set the brake and hopped off. I kept looking back down the road. It was still black behind us with nothing there. I reached up and grabbed my lady's bag from the rack so I could place it on the stoop in front of the inn. When I turned back to the carriage, I saw the blue eyes again. They were down the road. Steady in place, not advancing. How did he catch up to us so fast? Arca looked back and could see them too. He stomped his feet a few times, but wasn't overly stressed. Wolves don't like people, so it was unlikely the wolf would enter town. I walked over and opened the carriage door so my lady could step out. She saw that I was looking back down the road. She smiled at me seemingly unbothered by the eyes. Before we got to the inn's front door, she turned to me and asked if I had seen the eyes. Her smile got a little larger as she looked back at the forest. She looked back at me and lamented that we may have an unexpected escort. I opened the inn door for her and took one more look back at the forest. I couldn't understand why she wasn't afraid didn't seem to bother her at all that this strange wolf had followed us all the way from her home. On the way here, we were stopped at a creek and she was standing in that field amongst the flowers. She must have noticed his large white teeth. They stood out in the dark, and the way his tongue slowly licked his lips as he was staring at her was kind of creepy. But we were here now and probably safe. There might not have been any lawmen here, or any organized government, but there were people. Some of them were bound to have muskets and pistols, not to mention axes and knives. She went through the indoor with me close behind. This was a small and run-down place. Probably a thriving business once. Time and neglect had taken its toll. I suspected this was nothing like what the lady was used to. Her mansion was immaculate. The best food, the best clothing, the best furniture, the best of everything. The clothes she was wearing this very night were made of the finest linens. Here, there were a few crushed velvet chairs in the parlor. The paint on the walls was faded and chipping, and there were watermarks on the ceiling as if the roof leaked. Several candles lit up the space. A desk was at the far end of the room with some old paper and an inkwell, a feather pen with an exaggerated plume extending in the air. On the counter, there was a bell. A sign read, Ring for Service. My lady walked over to the counter and hit the bell. We waited a few moments while the ring faded, but nothing happened. She rang the bell again, this time a little more emphatically. Still, nothing happened. Then she rang it again. The sharp rings echoed in the room and down the hall. After the ringing subsided, we heard the muffled sound of a crowd below us. It was the noise of patrons in the basement where the pub was located. My lady rang the bell one more time, but louder. After this last ring, we could hear someone walking up the steps and then a door opened from behind the counter. A short man with thinning, curly red hair and prickly beard came over. He was chewing annoyingly on some scrap of food. He reached out with five chubby digits and grabbed the bell to silence its ring. He was wearing a white apron and his voice had a thick, gruff, raspy quality to it that matched his disheveled appearance. Good evening, madame. We don't get many late-night visitors in these parts, I'm afraid. I presume it's your reservation I've been holding all day and most of the night? He said annoyingly, then swiveled the guest registration book toward her. Oui, oui, mademoiselle. Well, of course it is. Silly question indeed. Please sign the registry if you will. As my lady signed us in, the innkeeper turned and retrieved two skeleton keys hanging on the wall behind him. He walked from around the counter to guide us up two steps that led to a long hallway. The hallway had several doors lining each side. These were the rooms of the inn. A few candles high on the wall gave enough light to see. The innkeeper eyed me up and down as he passed. I had set her bag on the top step leading into the hall. I thought he might take it for her, but he just waddled past as if to suggest I was his damned bellhop. From the time we entered this place, she had a look of discomfort on her face. That look grew more intense as she followed him down the hall. But this was the only place in town, and Marcel was the only town for miles. We needed to rest before we started out again, and I was done traveling for the night. The innkeeper walked halfway down the hall and stomped open one of the doors. There you go, my lady. All cozy-like. I'll be downstairs, tending to the pub if you'll need anything. If you'll be wanting something to eat, you can get it in there. It ain't much unless you are hungry. Do join us for a drink if you like. We have some traveller musicians in the pub tonight, playing a bit of music to keep everyone entertained. They aren't bad if I do say so meself. We don't get many ladies of your refined tastes in here. It would certainly brighten up the place. The invitation was sincere, but he was also being sarcastic. He knew the kind of lady she was, and she was not accustomed to staying in a place like this. I don't think she noticed, but I knew he was making fun of her and disrespecting her nobility. After she entered the room, I set her bag just inside the door, closed it behind me as I stepped back out into the hall. The innkeeper looked at me and tilted his head and dropped the key in my open hand. Slight smirk on his face. So much for him opening my door. I just stood there and watched him waddle back down the hall out of sight. I heard the door behind the counter close as he made his way back down the stairs to the pub. I opened my room and went inside and flopped down on the bed. The bed was nice and soft. There was a fresh pitcher of water in a basin on the stand. I really wanted to wash up and go to sleep but I needed to take the horses to the livery and get them settled. So I drug myself off the bed, packed on the hall to go outside. When I opened the inn door, before I stepped outside, I cautiously looked around and back to the forest. The blue eyes were gone. There wasn't anybody around or anything around, which was good. I didn't know what time it was, but knew it was getting late and I was hungry and tired. I needed to get on with this so I could get something to eat and go to bed. I climbed atop the driver's seat and shook the reins to get the team moving. They came to life and we trotted off to the livery which was near the end of town. The night air had changed, making it warmer. Some clouds had rolled across the sky which brought the warmth but blocked the moonlight. This made it darker. It also looked like it might rain, so I was lucky to get the horses inside for the night. For the better part of an hour, I unstrapped the horses and moved each to their own stall. After that, I gave them some fresh water along with oats and hay. They were all tired and hungry, just like me. The library had plenty of room so I could keep the coach inside. I felt better with it out of sight. There would be less of a chance of any undesirable seeing it. It was an expensive carriage only the rich could afford. This might give the idea there was a soft target inside and ripe for the picking. There wasn't anyone around this late at night. The farrier was probably in the pub by now. I would have to square up with him in the morning, just as well, too. I wasn't in the mood to haggle about the price of grain or space. I grabbed my musket from the front seat to head back to the inn, and as I shut the livery door, I heard the howling of a wolf far off in the distance. Because it was so far off, it was faint and didn't have the same chilling sound, but it was still unnerving. I stopped to tuck the musket under my arm and take a good look around. It was hard to see in this darkness. The trees scattered through the town made it even darker. Kind of eerie, isn't it? The voice from the dark chortled. A white-haired old man emerged from the shadows, scared the jeepers out of me. He had a long white beard and hair to match. The embers of his pipe glowed as he sucked in a big breath. When he exhaled, a billowy puff of smoke circled his hat. The old geezer damn near gave me a heart attack. First, this dark town gets even darker, with the clouds covering the night sky. Then the creepy distant howling, and now this old guy sneaking up on me from the shadows. Seems like the wolves have suddenly become interested in our little village, eh? Especially since you all arrived. The old man mocked. I didn't respond. I just shrugged my shoulders, caught my breath, and began walking quietly back to the inn. I might have been tired, but now I needed a drink. After I secured the musket in my room, I went back outside and around the corner of the building. It was still dark and hard to see, but I knew where the pub entrance was. I had seen it when we rolled up to the inn. The pub's main door was just to the right of the alley. There was a small sign hanging above the stairs that led to the basement where everyone was gathered. I made my way down the stairs and pushed the wooden door that led inside. Damn thing was heavy and it creaked as I opened it. It swung shut, slamming as it closed behind me. When that happened, the music stopped and everyone was staring at me. I was too tired and hungry to care. At least I was inside now with lots of people around. And these were my kind of people, regular and ordinary, all having a bit of supper and an adult beverage before bed. No false pretenses, no airs of importance, just plain simple folk laughing and enjoying their time with a drink or two. They quickly lost interest in me and the music started again. Three musicians were playing instruments in a small space toward the back of the pub. One had a violin, another a guitar, and one was using the tables to bang on with some sticks. There was a pretty dark-haired girl with them. She had some small cymbals on her fingers, and she would clang together in rhythm with the stick player. She had lots of jewelry and wore a long red skirt. Occasionally, they would walk around as they played, entertaining the crowd and keeping them happy. As they played, the girl would carry an empty mug looking for tips as the musicians were playing some mellow music in the back. A few bar wenches were hustling about bringing customers their supper and ale. The innkeeper from upstairs was now behind the bar running fresh pints to the thirsty folks gathered at the bar. I walked past the tables and through the crowd, squeezing up to the bar between two large strapping fellows. I started to raise my finger in eager anticipation it was time for me to get one of those pints. I had to give the chubby guy credit, as he had a fresh, frothy pint in front of me before I got my finger all the way in the air. I'll have some supper, too, if you please, I said. The large pewter mug seemed heavy as he sat it in front of me. It hit the bar with a slight thud and the motion caused foam to spill over the sides. That foam ran over the edge and onto the bar, leaving a distinctive ring after I picked it up. Ah, that first sip of froth... From a nice cold ale? Nothing quite like it to calm the soul. The innkeeper never said anything. He took my coin and disappeared in the back to order my supper. Finally, I was in one of my favorite places in all the world. A dingy old pub. Wooden bar, wooden tables and seats. Nothing fancy, just a good time with lots of smiling faces. The smell of ale, cheap perfume and pipe smoke filled the air. The aroma from the kitchen smelled good, too. I doubted it was much. Slab of charred meat, some potatoes, and a hunk of bread. hardy peasant food, nothing fancy. Most didn't even use silverware. Just their fingers as they shoved it in their maw. This was more like where I grew up, and unless I miss my guess, not anything like where my lady came from. As I sipped more of my ale, enjoying the music... I took notice of the crowd. All manner of folk were represented. It wasn't just the locals either. There were lots of customers that didn't seem as if they were residents. Some looked like they were from faraway lands. Town folk are easy to spot. The clothing has a distinctive look, and their demeanor is usually a little more comfortable than the others. Everything about them says, I'm not far from home, and I've been here before, many times. For example, there was a man at the other end of the bar. He had a faint odor of horse coming off him. That smell of oats, hay, and manure. Unmistakable. His boots were dirty with dried muck from the stables. This would be the proprietor of the livery. I hadn't met him yet, but I knew exactly who he was just by the smell and look of him. He was lifting a pint quietly over his full beard and keeping to himself. The more he drank, the less careful he was about eyeing the pretty girls. As they would squeeze past him carrying pints for customers, he would lean out and look at their backsides. A few more pints, and he would most likely start to get some really bad ideas about his chances with them. Sitting at a table a few feet from the bar were two men. One was a middle-aged man with a slight paunch. He was eating his supper with a pint next to his plate. He was neat and well-groomed. His hair was slicked back and he had a small mustache. The younger man was sitting beside him having supper but too young for a pint. The young fellow had his face buried in his plate and was gobbling up his meal like it might be his last. His soft blonde hair flopped to one side and he was a little too young for any significant facial hair. They were both wearing soft blue shirts. Their pants were black with matching shoes not a speck of dirt about them. This would be the owners of the general store and his clerk, the grocers of the town. They kept to themselves, not interested in anything other than supper after a long day. At a table next to the grocers were two older gentlemen. They were swigging down pints of ale and laughing loudly. The more drunk they got, the more animated they became, undoubtedly telling stories about events of the day. They were wearing long frock coats and neat white shirts underneath. I'm guessing these were two of the town elders, some type of unofficial leaders. The girls running the ale were all dressed in frilly white shirts. Their skirts were long and green. Some of the shirts were unbuttoned a little. This was so they could lean in to get better tips. They were friendly and flirty as most pub wenches are. There were other town folk crowded into the pub too all laughing and telling stories as they slapped each other on the back. Some were seated at tables eating and enjoying themselves while a bunch of them were crammed up to the bar. Everyone seemed to be in a good mood and having a good time. But there were others who weren't as vivacious. They were quiet and subtle, barely noticeable to anyone around, purposely keeping to themselves. Most of them appeared a little rough compared to the rest. For example, there was a man leaning his chair against the wall. He drew in a long pipe using his hand to cover the chamber and then let it go after he inhaled. This caused the embers to glow. The glow would light up his face for just a moment. His skin was rough and leathery. As the embers died down, the shadows would hide his face again. A woman seated at the table next to him had long brown hair that looked like it had not been washed in weeks. The brim of her hat hid her face. Only her straight jawline and small mouth could be seen. Not dainty and frilly like the beer wenches. She looked rough. Neither her or the man were speaking, just sitting quietly watching everything. Two other gents were seated at a table to my right, just off the bar. Their dark-colored capes hid what they were carrying. No doubt there were daggers, swords, or pistols under those capes. They had pints of ale in front of them, but they weren't drinking excessively like the rest of the patrons. Like the quiet couple against the wall, they barely spoke, but took in everything around them. These were the rangers and drifters from who knows where. They didn't come from any place in particular and they weren't going any place special. Road agents looking for an opportunity to make a quick buck, legal or illegal, didn't matter. Behind me, to the left of the bar, near the back, there were four men, seated at a table. They were playing cards with a pot of money in the middle. The man sitting with his back to the wall had a sour look on his face. Obviously, he didn't like his hand. He was dressed in some type of olive green uniform, and there were two men standing behind him. I could see the shine of a saber attached to his hip from under the table, and there were two pistols crossing in his belt. Hessians, probably fought in the American Revolution on the British side. They were German soldiers hired to fight to defeat the colonists. Many returned home and became mercenaries. Hired guns for anyone that could pay. None of them looked friendly, so I decided to avoid any eye contact and return to my ale. I didn't need any trouble from them, or the highwaymen, or anyone else in this place. I raised my mug and took another cool sip. Despite the rangers, scallywags and hessians, this was just what I needed. A ride from her house through the woods was stressful, and had been quite a night. I was hoping the rest of our journey would be a lot easier, our destination was still a long way off. We would leave early in the morning, and hopefully be in Trevor Doe by nightfall. I planned to prevent any additional night travel. One thing was for sure. I was not coming back this way again. There was a more traveled road to the north with plenty of open countryside. After I dropped her off in Trevordo, I would take the north road back to my city. It was a lot longer than cutting through the forest, but the odds of trouble were a lot less. I lifted my mug for another sip and was shocked at what I saw next. My lady was seated at a table not far from the door. I had missed her when I first came in because my back had been to her when I came through. She was seated by herself at the table, sipping a glass of wine. She was still dressed in her crimson cape, but the hood was down. There was a little bit of light coming in the basement window just above her. With the hood off, she was even lovelier. You could see how pretty she really was. The hints of auburn in her chestnut brown hair shined in the moon's light. It flowed down her thin face, long eyelashes accenting her large brown eyes. They sparkled in the light. With the hood down, I could also see her neckline. Across her shoulder and running up the side of her neck was a faint scar. It was long, but very subtle. Was this the souvenir of a skilled surgeon or something else? I wonder... I started to feel a little unsettled. She had as much right to be here as anyone, but if anything were to happen, I didn't think I could get her out of here safely. Road agents and highwaymen would keep the peace. They only attacked in desolate places. But there were pickpockets and thieves scattered in the crowd. And who knew what the Hessians were up to? They were unpredictable and I didn't have any idea what they were doing here. It seemed odd for soldiers or mercenaries to be in this part of the wild country. I took a big gulp of my ale, and she noticed me looking her way and nodded to acknowledge me. A little embarrassed, I looked away for a brief second, then right back to her and returned the nod. At that moment, the pub door opened, and my eyes moved from her to the door. Standing in the doorway was the figure of a man. You couldn't really see his face or any of his features. You could just see his long coat and boots. The clouds that had been covering the moon earlier had rolled away and now the moon's light was coming down the stairs and through the doorway. The brightness behind him made it impossible to see his face from this angle. He stood there for a moment before letting the door close behind him. Everyone in the bar noticed him. Nobody really seemed to care. Except for the Hessians. The leader playing cards looked back at his men. One of the men leaned in and whispered something in the leader's ear. The bar crowd went back to having a good time. The music kept going as supper continued to be served along with more ale. I got the impression from the crowd's reaction to him, or lack thereof, they were used to seeing him here. It was almost like they knew him. The darkness and the shadows of the bar hid the stranger's face, but not his eyes. The small amount of light in here reflected off them. They were blue. Seemingly, the same brilliant blue that had followed us here. The same brilliant blue as the wolf we saw on the road. I leaned back against the bar and pushed my hat up off my forehead. Not knowing what to think, I watched as he slowly made his way past the tables. When he reached the bar, his eyes returned to normal. They had lost that unusual glow I saw in the moonlight. The stranger had medium-length blonde hair, and his goatee was shaved to a point extending to his cheeks. His appearance was neat, and his clothes were clean. He was medium-built, wearing a long black overcoat that was open in the front, and his white shirt was accented nicely by a crimson neckpiece. As he removed his gloves and set them on the bar, they might have known him, but he wasn't a local. The colors of his clothing were muted, but they were different than the rest of the crowd. He had the clothing of a highwayman, but there was something refined about him. He carried himself differently. He was confident and sure of himself. As the barkeep leaned in, he ordered something, but I couldn't quite hear what it was. This caused the barkeep to step back, pausing to give an inquisitive look. Then making his way far into the bar, reaching up to the top shelf for an old bottle. After blowing the dust off the top, he pulled the cork and grabbed a small glass. He set the glass in front of the man and poured the dark liquid. The stranger threw a gold coin on the bar as he picked up his drink. He took a sip as he turned, looking right past everyone, directly at my lady. His stare was precise and deliberate. From the moment he walked in, he hadn't seemed to notice her in the corner, but now I was sure he knew she was there all along. With her large brown eyes, she watched him intently when he first came in as he made his way across the room. She watched him order his drink and pay the innkeep. When he turned to look at her, her eyes immediately met his. After staring at each other for a few moments, she looked away nervously. She began to fidget as his gaze didn't waver. You could see the uneasiness she was feeling. She took more sips of her drink, not knowing what to do next. A stranger began to slowly walk in her direction, taking another sip of his drink. I felt my body become more rigid and move a little in that direction. But he didn't walk up to her. His gaze moved away as he passed. He set the empty glass on a table next to the door as he made his way outside. She watched him the whole way from the bar as he worked his way through the crowd to go back outside. There was a look of confusion on her face. As if she was questioning whether or not she knew him. The road agents and highwaymen also watched him, and so did the Hessians. While the rest of the bar didn't seem to care beyond his initial entrance, the Hessians kept a close watch. They took in everything he did, and it looked like they recognized the connection he made with my lady. The moment the door shut behind him, she got up to leave. The Hessians noticed that too. She stood at the door, pausing for a moment to pull her hood up before she went out. The heavy door swung shut behind her with a slight bang. Where the hell was she going? There was a staircase on the opposite side of the bar that led up to the inn. She didn't have to go outside to go back to her room if she didn't want to. As the door closed behind her, I got that same feeling of dread again. She didn't leave right after him. She was following him. And now I would have to go that way too and make sure she was okay. I gulped down the rest of my pint and headed for the door. As the door was shutting behind me, I saw the Hessians were gathering up their things as they intended to leave too. I went up the stairs to the street. A heavy fog had rolled through town. This was strange. When I was putting the horses in the livery, clouds had rolled in, but when the stranger came into the bar, the moon's light was bright, not a cloud in the sky. Now we are back to clouds over the moon again. The atmosphere was eerie and foreboding. I heard a wolf howl off in the distance, just like when I came out of the livery. It made the hair on the back of my neck stand on end. With the clouds covering the moon's light and the thickness of the fog making its way through town, it was hard to see anything. I could barely see the street or any houses. Neither my lady nor the stranger were anywhere. I had made it to the corner of the alley, just in front of the inn. I decided to run back inside. I raced through the front door and made my way down the hall. As I did, I caught a glimpse of my lady's door closing. When I saw that, I was relieved. I must have just missed her on the street. I wasn't sure why she went this way, but she had made it back safely. Thank God. Since she was in her room, I could go to mine. I went through my door and flopped down on the bed. This time, I was going to sleep. This whole trip was exhausting. First we're followed by these blue eyes all the way from her house. Then we encounter a wolf with strange markings. I hear wolves howling in the darkness around the town as if they were surrounding the town. And next there are strangers, rangers, highwaymen, and hessians in the pub. And then there's this crazy weather. One minute there's a full moon giving off plenty of light, the next there are clouds making it dark. And what about that thick fog rolling through town? From the alley, I watched as it moved through the buildings and on the street almost like it had a mind of its own. It was so thick, and it moved, covering the streets and buildings, making it even harder to see. Plus, I hadn't even gotten any supper. I was so exhausted, I didn't even take my clothes off. I just fell asleep, right where I was. Stay tuned for a preview of our next exciting chapter, I'm your host, Alan McGill. Thank you for joining me on this episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us and click the like button, as well as leaving a review in the comments section. By doing this, it helps promote the show so we can gain more support. You can also show your support by going to buymeacupofcoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. It's a good way to support authors and artists like myself. You can even download the Buy Me a Cup of Coffee app to make your contributions even easier. When you buy me a cup of coffee, you're not just supporting me, but you're supporting the show. While I am the narrator, sole producer, and performer, that cup of coffee helps me purchase the sound effects, artist illustrations, and original music written and performed by Joseph McDade. Go to buymeacupofcoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. Before I sign off, I want to take a moment and acknowledge some great supporters of the show, like Joseph McDade, who provides original music to shows like this. You can find Joe at josephmcdade.com. Todd Urey of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, who provided a quiet place to record the narrations for this show, and is always a supporter of the arts visit Todd at the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I want to thank the Writing Community Chat Show for their support of the show. The Writing Community Chat Show is a podcast that supports authors whenever they can, and they always have fascinating guests and interesting topics. I'd also like to thank another friend of the show, author Roslyn Breyer. Her debut novel is The Crown of Bones. If you like dark fantasy novels that are a bit spooky, by dipping into horror with a splash of romance, then The Crown of Bones is for you. Her sequel to The Crown of Bones is out now and is called A Sea of Pearls and Leaves and both are available on Amazon. And lastly, I want to thank you again for being here. I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope you join me again for another exciting episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. In the next chapter, after two gruesome murders are discovered in Myrcelle, the carriage driver and Milady decide to flee to the safety of a nearby castle. But they are attacked on the forest road, when something unexpected saves them. Who attacks them on the road? What mysterious thing saves them? Find out next time in Chapter 3, An Unlikely Saviour. This podcast is the creation of Alan McGill. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.